0: If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530 8920521 Hebrews chapter 4. Today's message is entitled, Jesus Really Understands Your Trials and Tribulations. As we look at Hebrews chapter 4, there's some things that you need to know. Number one, in this one chapter, there are five uses of the word rest. There's God's Sabbath rest, that after he made the heavens and the earth, he rested on the seventh day. Now, he didn't rest out of exhaustion. He rested out of satisfaction. He saw that it was very good. Second, there's the rest of Canaan. You can imagine the Israelites wandering through the wilderness for 40 years, that getting into Canaan would be a rest. It would be the promised land. There's the third use of rest, which is for anyone who's a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the present salvation rest that's found in Christ. And this is a beautiful thing. The, the rest that we have in Christ is such that there's victory, there's peace, there's freedom, there's purpose, there's a clear conscience. I'll tell you, because of the peace of Christ that dwells in our hearts through faith in Him, we have confidence of salvation, we have reliance of His strength, we have the assurance of a future heavenly home. All that is ours through trusting in Jesus Christ. The fourth sense of the word rest is the overcomer's present rest of victory. And the fifth is the future eternal rest in heaven. So all five of these senses of rest are used in Hebrews chapter 4. Now, why do I explain this up top? This is very important. Jesus is our sent one to be our Savior, and he is our high priest, that is, He provided forgiveness of our sins through death on the cross and the shedding of his blood, but he provides sustaining strength and the ability to finish as we rely upon him as the high priest. So what he begins in our lives and saving us, he continues to do as high priest to make sure his work is finished in us. Like Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you is able to bring it to completion. You know people who start things, but they don't finish them? Doesn't that bother you? But then there are people who start things and they get it done. They stick to it till they get to their destination like a postage stamp. That's Jesus. Jesus, when he saves you, when you trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins, he comes into your life by his Holy Spirit, and he guides you through life all the way to heaven. What he begins, he finishes. Now the problem with the people who received this letter, the Jewish Christians, the Hebrews, is that they were tempted to fall away, to fall back to their old lives, to fall back to their old faith of legalism and law of performance-based acceptance and deny the grace of God, that they've been forgiven by God's unmerited favor. And so Paul, excuse me, the writer of Hebrews, who may be Paul, uh, gives four practices as to how to enjoy the rest. And these admonitions are found in um, the following references. First he says, let us be careful, that is, because you've seen the example of the Old Testament ancestors who they got right up to Canaan when they came out of Egypt, they sent in 12 spies. Of the 12 spies, 10 of them said, we can't do it. There are giants in the land. Don't go in there. We'd be squashed like bugs. And there were two of the, of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, who said, the land is flowing with milk and honey. Let's go in and take the land that God has promised us. And who do they believe? They believed the ten spies. And they did not go into the land. Therefore, God consigned them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years for the 40 days that the spies were checking out Canaan. Did you know that? The 40 years they were wandering in the wilderness correlate to the 40 days that the spies had to check out the land. So when they rejected God's promise, when they, through unbelief, did not go into the land, they did not enter the the rest that God had for them, God had them wandering in the wilderness and said, none of that generation that that have refused to listen to me and believe in me are going to enter into the promised land, but their kids, the next generation, will enter into the promised land. And the Bible is telling us, let us be careful to listen to the Lord. Let us be careful to enter into the rest. Let us be careful not to do what others have done, and that is, they have not received the Lord's word with faith. Look at chapter 4 and verse 1. It says... Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it, for we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. I like the note at the bottom, they didn't listen because they didn't mix what they heard with faith. They did not combine the word with faith. It is possible to hear the Bible preach and to say, Nice talk, Pastor, but it went in one ear and went out the other. When you hear the Bible preached, you are to mix it well with faith. When the Bible says, You know, come to Jesus and trust in Him for salvation, you say, Yes. I want to do that. And that saving faith makes all the difference. But if you listen only intellectually, you're missing the mark. And that's what happened. They came short because they did not mix what they heard with faith. So you and I need to be careful. Careful to listen to the Lord. Careful to apply what we hear and to live by faith, not by sight. The Lord says, move forward, and you say, but there is a roadblock in the way. You move forward and you trust Him and watch what He's going to do to remove that roadblock. We must live by faith. Be careful to do that. Second admonition is let us make every effort. And that's found in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, where it says, that we are to make every effort to enter into the rest. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firm, excuse me, verse 14, 11, verse 11, sorry. Verse 11, let us therefore make every effort to enter the rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Now, here's what seems to be a contradiction in terms. Expend labor to enter the rest. Strive to rest. Work to rest. Doesn't that sound like a contradiction? But it's not. You are resting in the fact that Jesus has paid for your sins in full. You're no longer striving or trying to atone for your sins or earn God's um, approval you are forgiven through the finished work of Christ on the cross. Now, with that said, you want to live for the Lord now that you've been forgiven by the Lord, don't you? And so you want to strive or work or labor to enjoy the fullness of the benefits of being in Christ. And that's where most Christians have failed. Most Christians fail are living in defeat. They're living under their birthright as Christians. They are settling for far less than what is yours as part of the rest. You could have victory. You could have a peace that surpasses knowledge. You can have freedom. You can have a clear conscience. You can have all these blessings that are from the Lord. As you enter the rest, as you enjoy and grow in the knowledge of the Word about all that is yours in Christ. In Ephesians 1, 3, it says, We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. In other words, all of heaven's resources are available to us. How many of us are enjoying that, taking full advantage of that? Many of us have decided, oh, I guess defeat's going to be in my life, or, well, I'm just going to struggle with worry, or I'm just going to have a guilty conscience and keep beating myself up with the stupid stick. I mean, people really do that. They get down on themselves all the time, and everything they do must be wrong, and something must be wrong with me, and they're living in shame rather than living in Jesus' name, rather than living with that clear conscience that says Jesus paid for your sins in full, nailed them to the cross, and you have peace with God. The third admonition is let us hold firmly to the faith. And that's the one I read, verse 414. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. That by holding firmly to the faith that we've been saved by grace and not by works, we remain free and peaceful and victorious with a clear conscience and we have purpose and we have we overcome. But if we fall back to legalism, to works, to a sense that we are inadequate and uh, incomplete, we're always going to be striving rather than trusting. And so we need to hold firmly to our faith. You can imagine that, The Christians at this time were being persecuted, and because they were being um, thrown into prison and tortured for their faith, and some were being martyred, that there was question in their mind. Is this really worth all the suffering we're going through? Maybe we should go back to the old ways, to our traditions. But that would be letting go of the faith. That would not be holding firmly to the faith that God, and only God alone can save us, and we trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins and for eternal life. And the last admonition is this, let us come to the throne of grace. And that's found in 416, where it says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. There was a forlorn soldier who was sitting on a bench in Washington, D.C., He was slumped over, his face in his hands, and just feeling sorry for himself. The little boy said, what's wrong, mister? He said, I came all this way to see the president because I need to be excused from military service because of a family emergency. But they won't let me see the president. And the little boy said, come with me, mister. And he took his hand and he led him right past the guards at the White House, right into the president's office, the Oval Office. And there his dad said, Yes, Todd, how can I help you? Well, this soldier needs to talk to you. His dad was Abraham Lincoln. And the soldier got the pardon that he needed. We come to God the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. He brings us right into the throne room of grace. And we could come confidently with boldness because the Lord has made the way. So these are the four admonitions that are in Hebrews 4. Now with that setting, let's get to the really good stuff. The really good stuff, as I've been praying and thinking over Hebrews 4, is this, that Jesus, as our sympathetic high priest, wants us to get from A to B. He wants us to get from being saved all the way to heaven. As our high priest, he wants us to be victorious. He wants us to enjoy all the benefits of salvation. He wants us to enter into the rest. I could even say he wants us to enter into the rest of all that is ours in Christ. You get it? He wants us to enter into the rest of all he has for us. With that in mind, we see in Hebrews 4.14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, the Greek says, has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. You see, back in the day, a high priest, once a year, on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, would go from the court of the Gentiles into the Holy, and then into the Holy of Holies. And he had to go through a veil each time he went into the next section. That's why I like the Greek, because it's saying, one greater than the high priest of Israel has broken through the veils of heaven to go right into the real presence of God and to be there permanently on your behalf. This right away shows the superiority of Christ as our high priest, and no human high priest coming even near to his greatness. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin we praise God, the fact is that Jesus really understands. He really understands your pain. He really understands your suffering. He really understands the trials you face. He understands the temptations you face. Now, there's three very important things to say about this. Number one, does Jesus did Jesus go through every single temptation specifically that you and I go through? The answer is no. Was he married? Did he have kids? Did he meet... Did he reach middle age and have a midlife crisis? Was he an old person and hobbled through old age? No, he didn't go through that. But he became a human being and he suffered all the aches, the pains, and the relational struggles that you and I have gone through in kind. So it may not be specific, but it's in kind, qualitatively, he experienced everything you and I have gone through. Now, have you ever been through something tough and someone who's gone through the same exact thing comes alongside you and pats you on the back and says, it's going to be okay. What, if, what does that do to you? It gives you great encourage. It puts courage in your heart because someone who's been through what you're going through has, can understand your pain, your struggle, and assures you you're going to get to the other side. Jesus is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. I was running a marathon. I was hitting the wall. I looked like a person walking in an upright fetal position. And I thought, there's no way I'm going to make it. I'm at mile 20. There's 6.2 miles left. And some guy comes running next to me, and he slows down and starts walking next to me. I'm wondering why he's walking when I'm running. But he says, it's okay. Is this your first marathon? I said, yes, it is. I'm dying. I'm not going to make it. He says, oh, yes, you will. You can do it. And he walked with me. He says, my first marathon, I was laying on the side of the road with all sorts of horrible cramps. And somehow, I was able to get up and keep going, and I made it. You can make it. And boy, that just shot strength through my body that lifted my spirit and I put one foot in front of the other and I crossed the finish line that's what the Lord does he comes alongside of us by his spirit and encourages us to keep putting one foot in front of the other because he knows our pain he understands our struggle he is knowledgeable of all we're going through he can empathize with our weaknesses Now, when it says he was tempted in every way, here's a theological debate that goes on. If Jesus, being born of Mary, did not have a sin nature, how could he be tempted? And the answer is, because he did not have a sin nature, he could be tempted to the nth degree while we give in real soon. So if two guys were, in, uh, were prisoners of war, and they're going to be tortured until they said uncle, till they gave in to the demands of the enemy, you and I would be saying uncle real fast. But Jesus would never say uncle, which means what? He would go on and on and on in being tortured and suffering. So we know this much about pain. Jesus knows infinity about pain. We know this much about temptation because You know, there was an experiment done with little kids. You know, uh, here's a marshmallow in front of you, and we're going to go out of the room, and if you don't eat the marshmallow, you'll get another marshmallow. And more times than not, as soon as the person walked out of the uh, room, the kid pops the marshmallow in his mouth. No self-control. No ability to resist temptation. Pop it in the mouth. That's us. But the Lord, never gave in. The Lord did not fail in completing His mission, which was to go to the cross and to give His life as a perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. You know, Satan tried to waylay Him. He said, Turn these stones into bread. You've been fasting for 40 days. You must be awfully hungry. Turn these stones into bread. And Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You see, if Satan had gotten Jesus to turn the rocks into bread, Jesus would have been a wonder bread savior. He would have been able to solve the problem of hunger in the world. But is that the true need of the world? The true need is forgiveness of sin. He did not cave in. So then Satan says, Well, how about if you uh, jump from this uh, high point in the temple and everyone sees you land down on on the ground safe and sound because the angels catch you because God won't let your foot be dashed against a stone? If he had given into that, he would have been a miracle working savior someone who could do phenomenal signs and wonders and everyone would worship him because of that but he wouldn't have saved us from our sin. So then the third one is, hey, if you will worship me, I'll give you all the nations and the uh, I'll give you authority and power over everything here. Had Jesus given in on that one, he would have been a political savior. Are you following with me? Jesus was tempted 3 times by the devil, to do anything but go to the cross. You could solve the problem of hunger. You could be a miracle-working savior. You could be a political genius. You could save the world through politics and be a world ruler. But no, Jesus did not give in. He went to the cross. He set his jaw for Jerusalem because he knew that our greatest problem is sin. And unless we have a sacrifice for our sin, and his blood is shed to wash away our sins, no matter what we do, we're still going to have a problem with selfishness and not sharing our bread. We're still going to be wowed by entertainment, and we're still going to uh, have problems in politics. We need our sins forgiven. We need to become children of God who are born again through faith in Jesus. That's the point. And Because he's experienced the nth degree of any temptation or any trial you and I have gone through, he understands your pain. He understands your struggles. He understands all that you're going through, and we're so thankful for that. And this is not the first time that the writer of Hebrews mentions this. In chapter 2, 17 to 18, he says, For this reason he had to be made like them, like us, that he's going to save, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, that is, die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. No one understands like Jesus. He really gets it. He knows what you're going through. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10.13, there's no temptation that we encounter that's not common to other human beings. But God is faithful that he will provide a way of escape. When you're tempted, look for the exit sign because the Lord is providing that for you. When you're tempted, go to Jesus. When the devil knocks at your door, send Jesus to answer. We have an advocate We have a high priest. We have a friend who sticks closer to the brother in Jesus Christ. So the punchline here is, for we do not have a high priest, excuse me, is this, verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because these things are true, the Lord has, is in the very presence of God the Father permanently interceding for us because Jesus uh, can sympathize with us because Jesus did not fail in accomplishing his mission of providing salvation for us because Jesus uh, will give us uh, mercy and grace to help us in our time of need because he's so approachable. Let's go to him. Let's cry out for help. Let's say, Lord, save me. When Peter was sinking in the water, he said, Lord, save me. And the Lord reached out and grabbed him and picked him right up. And that's what the word help means. The word help or aid means to grab by the hand and pull up. The Lord pulls us up. We don't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, by the way. It's the Lord who saves us. So because Jesus understands our weaknesses, we can come boldly to God and find not recriminations, but mercy and grace. His is a throne of grace. Notice that? Come boldly to the throne of grace. It's not a throne of judgment for the believer. Now, for those who reject Christ, it says in Revelation chapter 20 that there is a judgment. It's called the great white throne judgment. And people will be judged to see if their name is in the book of life. If they have not trusted in Christ, their name is not in the book of life. They'll be judged by the book of works. The book of works will show not only what they did during their lifetime, but the motives behind what they did, which will disqualify most of the good that they did. And they'll be thrown into the pit of hell, where Satan is meant to be because they have rejected Christ. But for us, who have been saved, Jesus takes us by the hand and walks us right into the throne room of grace. We could ask God the Father confidently whatever we need, strength, help, comfort, direction, because Jesus has made the way. Jesus understands our deepest needs and is able to guide us into these, those paths which provide the rest we need. Can we just look at that for a second? Jesus understands our deepest needs, amen? And he's able to guide us into those paths that provide the rest we need how many of us realize that the a human being is the only animal that goes twice as fast when he's lost the human being goes twice as fast when we're lost we're in a frenzy we don't know our way but we'll keep going the lord will direct us he'll give us rest and that's what jesus said in matthew 11 28 30 jesus said come to me all you who are weary and burdened my modern day translation as i make this up in the common vernacular of our day is come to the lord all you who are stressed out to the max and burned out come to the lord and jesus says i will give you rest when he says i will give you rest i will forgive your sins you won't have a guilty conscience i will give the assurance of heaven You'll have a sense of purpose and destiny. I will enter into you by my spirit and give you a peace that surpasses knowledge no matter what circumstances you're going through. I will give rest to your soul. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Everybody's out there with a gimmick. Everyone is out there with spiritual gymnastics of things you have to jump through this hoop and jump through that hoop before you're spiritual, before God accepts you. And Jesus says, my way is simple. Trust me. Follow me. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521.